as we deep dive into these chilling tales. We all need a moment of escape, a way to unwind without the shadow of the night creeping in. Here's where recess mood comes in. Crafted with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing aptogens, recess mood is your guilt-free retreat. With just 20 calories, no added sugar, it's not just a sparkling water. It's a sanctuary and a can. Imagine unwinding during a gripping episode of foul play with a can of strawberry rose, or my favorite, raspberry lemon. Letting the stress melt away without the aftermath of alcohol. It's my little secret to staying balanced in the chaos of a busy life. You deserve a healthier way to unwind, to recharge, and to prepare for the next journey into the unknown with foul play. And for the devoted foul play listeners, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash Shane to get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Nancy and Robert Kissel had a life that would exceed most people's wildest dreams. A luxury apartment in a serene setting just a stone's throw from Hong Kong. A spacious vacation home in rural Vermont and three healthy young children with enough money to indulge their every whim. Yet sometimes, the most idyllic lives mask a shadowy truth. A reality check surfaced in September 2003 when the body of 40-year-old Robert Kissel was found discarded in a storage facility. Was this a crime of envy, or something much more personal? As the world watched in fascinated horror, the truth would prove to be stranger than fiction. This case takes place in Hong Kong, southern China's financial hub, Off the city's mainland, there exists an area of Hong Kong Island known as Tai Tam. This offshoot of frenzied city life has featured luxury housing since the late 1980s. The region appeals greatly to expatriates who are accustomed to a certain lifestyle in their country of origin. One community, known as Parkview, consists of high-rise apartments and serviced residences, sits among the serene hills of Tai Tam Country Park. The apartments also offer spectacular views of the South China Sea, in addition to overlooking the Hong Kong skyline. Vacationers and residents alike consider the area as a perfect balance between country living and the metropolitan bustle. Amenities include upscale restaurants, an art gallery, 
various spas, high-end shopping and escorted hiking excursions. Every possible convenience is within arm's reach. The average salary of residents in Tai Tam is well over six figures. By living among the other wealthy expats, there is a sense of camaraderie in adjusting to life in another country. Robert and Nancy Kissel were among the long-term residents in Parkview. Their names won't be soon forgotten after what transpired between them in 2003. Robert Peter Kissel was born in Manhattan, New York, on April 21, 1963. He was Elaine and William Kissel's middle child, with an older brother, Andrew, and a younger sister, Jane. Their father, who everyone referred to as Bill, was a self-made millionaire. He got his start as a chemist at the Sun Chemical Corporation and made his way up to management. In 1972, he started his own copier toner company called Synfax. Bill soon amassed enough wealth to move the family into a bigger home in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Their new home sat on several acres and featured a swimming pool, a semi-circular driveway, and a three-car garage that housed Bill's Cadillac and Elaine's Mercedes. These were happy times for the Kissels. The family would often vacation at Stratton Mountain in Vermont, just a couple hours' drive from New Jersey. Skiing was a favorite family bonding activity, one that enabled the siblings to set aside their very different personalities. Tragedy struck in 1989 when Elaine passed away from unknown causes at age 56. The same year Robert lost his mother, he married Nancy Ann Keeshin a native of Adrian, Michigan. While in elementary school, Nancy's biological father, Ira Keeshan, split up with her mother, Jean. She went on to marry Michael McLaughlin, making him Nancy's stepfather. Little else is publicly known about Nancy's background, but we know she led a modest middle-class life. After high school, she studied business at the University of Minnesota, Eventually, she made her way to New York, where she met and married Robert Cassell. The early years of Nancy and Robert's marriage involved some sacrifice. Nancy was manager of a New York taxi company called Calient Cabs Co., while Robert finished out his MBA at NYU. Following graduation, Robert worked for an asset management firm, Lazard Frere, for five years. While building his career, the couple had their first child, Elaine, who was born in 1994. In 1997, Robert got snatched up by Goldman Sachs, one of the largest and most lucrative investment banking firms in the world. The newfound wealth that year prompted them to have their second child, Hannah. A year later, in 1998, the company transferred him to Hong Kong, to serve as a vice president in their company's Asian Special Situations Division. This was a time of great change for the city. After over a century of British colonial rule, China had gained independence. But it was also on the verge of economic collapse. The drop in value of Chinese currency caused American money to go far. 
Nancy reportedly didn't favor moving to the other side of the world, but soon experienced the benefits of being so financially well-off while her husband worked long hours and was frequently away on business trips. Nancy raised the children and explored how she fit into their new surroundings. In 2000, the Kissel's third child, Reese, was born. Around that time, Merrill Lynch made Robert an offer he couldn't refuse. The position of managing director and head of the Asian Pacific Corporate Products Group. According to an article in New York Magazine, one competitor considered him, quote, one of the best respected investors in Asia after the crisis. Accepting this position afforded the family an increasingly lavish lifestyle. Merrill Lynch reportedly covered the cost of their Parkview apartment to the tune of $20,000 a month. Their penthouse provided a view of Hong Kong's skyline, which made them feel like they were on top of the world. They also had enough disposable income to hire several maids. Nancy was soon considered an expat socialite in her area's small but thriving Jewish community. As the children began to attend the Hong Kong International School with other expat students, the teachers and parents there became Nancy's support network. She began volunteering at the school and was later named Vice President of the Board of Volunteer Parents. She also became School Ambassador, tasked with welcoming expatriate families with elementary-aged children who were new to Hong Kong. In her final and most time-intensive role, she served as chairwoman of the school fair, a commitment that sometimes took up over 40 hours a week. On the outside, Nancy and Robert's marriage seemed as close as perfect as it gets. When the family wasn't taking part in the abundant cultural activities Hong Kong offers, they were vacationing at their second home. Robert retained a strong affinity for Vermont from his childhood ski trips, so he purchased a sprawling vacation home in the town of Winnell. The serene New England town is in the southeastern region of the state and offers outdoor recreation in a mountainous setting. When a major SARS outbreak occurred in Hong Kong in 2003, Nancy opted to retreat to Wen Hall with the children. Robert continued to work in China while the rest of his family spent several months in Vermont. Since Nancy and their kids would be there for an extended period of time, they decided to have a home theater added. A contractor was hired and started work at the home right away. And that is how Nancy became acquainted with Michael Del Priore. Michael was everything Nancy's husband wasn't. The New Hampshire native was young, fit, and attentive. He was a blue-collar worker who lived in a nearby trailer park. His lifestyle was a far cry from the materialistic social elite Nancy had been surrounded by since Michael's rise to power. A passionate affair soon began, with Michael coming to the house late at night while the children were asleep. It's safe to say at this point in time, Nancy had checked out of her marriage. She was fed up with Michael's frequent absence and not having a life that didn't revolve around motherhood. The health crisis in Hong Kong improved after six months, and soon Nancy returned with the kids. With the amount of time they had spent apart and Nancy acting distant, Robert began to wonder if she was having an affair. 
but he didn't want a big confrontation without proof. So in the summer of 2003, Robert hired a private detective. He also installed spyware on Nancy's two computers to track her interactions. The results were damning and confirmed his suspicions. His wife had been having a deeply emotional and physical affair for the better part of that year. A confrontation soon followed. On November 2nd, 2003, Robert intended to let his estranged wife know he was filing for divorce. It was on this exact date that his life came to a gruesome and sudden end. In the early morning hours of November 7th, the Hong Kong Police Force, or HKPF, received two calls. One came from David No, a colleague of Robert's, at Merrill Lynch, when Robert had failed to show up at work for several days. The other call was made by Nancy Kissel to report the disappearance of her husband. Detectives began their investigation at the family residence at Parkview. After obtaining a warrant, a search of the Kissel storage unit led to a grim discovery. There were sealed boxes containing bloody items, including towels and cushions. And then, wrapped in a roll-up carpet, they found Robert's body in a state of decomposition. It appeared he had been bludgeoned to death. Two hours after the search was completed, at around 2.30 a.m. the following day, Nancy was arrested under suspicion of murder. Right away, the case made international headlines. All of Hong Kong was transfixed, eagerly awaiting any new developments. As detectives combed through the apartment, they spotted bloodstains in the master bedroom. Interviews conducted with the Cassell's two housemaids revealed Nancy had exhibited odd behaviour in the days before Robert's body was found. Nancy had instructed them not to clean the bedroom or enter it at all. When asked about Robert's whereabouts the day after the crime, she first told the maids he was asleep. She told them he was drunk and had taken cocaine. The victim's body had remained in the bedroom for three days. In the days following her husband's death, investigators learnt Nancy had gone on several shopping trips. She had purchased sheets, cushions and a carpet, all the belongings that had been stained with blood and boxed. The most suspicious detail was pulled from surveillance footage at the luxury complex. Three days after Robert's death, Nancy asked maintenance workers to move some boxes and a carpet into the underground storage unit. The carpet, which was sealed with plastic wrap and heavy-duty packing tape, seemed unusually bulky to one of the maids. When she commented on its unusual heft, Nancy had remarked there were pillows and blankets tucked inside it. In an interview, one of the maintenance workers informed investigators that the bundle smelled like rotting fish. There were other inconsistencies that drew suspicion. Several days after Robert disappeared, Nancy told her friends that they had gotten into an argument and Robert went storming out of the house. The day she had reported him missing happened to be the day his body was found. There was more. Two days after the alleged murder, Nancy had plans to meet up with a casual friend, Scott Leagardwood. He worked in the children's entertainment industry and Nancy had invited him to perform at the school her children attended. The day after the crime, she had sent Scott an email 
saying she couldn't meet him the following day as planned. My husband is not well, she wrote, according to the South China Press. I need to take care of something with him. I'll get in touch with you again. Scott would later testify that it was unusual that she canceled the meeting, but added that Nancy was a very caring parent. But being deemed an attentive parent didn't mean Nancy wasn't capable of murder. According to the Rutland Daily Herald, after learning of the affair, Robert had told his friends and family members, if anything happens to me, make sure my kids are taken care of. To detectives, that sounded like a man who feared for his life. An autopsy revealed at the time of his death, Robert had five different sedatives in his system. That isn't what ultimately killed him, though. The forensic pathologist noted a fractured skull caused by, quote, multiple heavy impacts from a blunt object, end quote. Once it was understood what factors had contributed to Robert's death, it was easy for investigators to piece together the crime. The sedative served to Robert in a strawberry milkshake left him incapacitated. His attacker had finished him off with a heavy statue in the Cassell's apartment. The knowledge of a spiked milkshake emerged from a neighbour's testimony. Andrew Tanzer had been over one afternoon with his child, who had a playdate with one of the Cassell girls. He sampled a milkshake Nancy was making for the kids, which he alleged later made him drowsy and then unconscious. When questioned about this, Nancy told investigators she hadn't drugged the milkshake the children had consumed and would never harm a child. Whether the specific allegation was true or not, Nancy admitted to drugging Robert's drink on more than one prior occasion. Her late husband had been a drinker, and on some Vermont vacations, she had slipped sedatives into Robert's whiskey. Nancy claimed this was done in an effort to calm him down, saying when intoxicated, he would get aggressive with the children and often lose his temper. With enough evidence to corroborate her guilt, Nancy was charged with first-degree murder. She was jailed and held without bail while awaiting trial. The children were sent to Greenwich, Connecticut, to live with Robert's brother Andrew, his wife Haley, and their two children. The high-stakes, high-tension trial began in June of 2005 at Hong Kong's High Court. The media, jury and a courtroom were a captive audience. According to the Associated Press, over the span of three months, testimony was heard, quote, about drugs, violence and sex that gave the Hong Kong public a rare glimpse into the private life of a wealthy expatriate couple, end quote. The Boston Globe made similar commentary, saying the Cassells had, quote, lived in an ideal world of maids, fancy cars, swimming pools, cocktail parties, and high-flying finance jobs in this global business centre, end quote. But the Cassells' extravagant lifestyle wasn't on trial. Nancy was. She never denied she had killed her husband though she hoped her defence would convince the jury a lesser charge of manslaughter was more fitting. Despite this being a Chinese judicial system, the burden of proof supporting a murder charge still rested with the prosecution. Opening statements from prosecutor David Perry stressed the homicide committed was cold and calculating. He asserted the accused had struck Robert in the head with a heavy object multiple times, 
while he lay face down in their bedroom. And after this relentless attack, his body had been disposed of in a callous way. Defence attorney Alexander King pursued a self-defence angle. He dragged Robert's reputation through the mud, calling him domineering and abusive. Very quickly, the prosecution undermined this attempt at lesser charges. Nancy had no defence wounds. What's more, under the influence of all the pills Robert was dosed with, he didn't stand a chance against an assault. The second day of trial, pharmacology professor Yoon Hakong went into detail about the specific drugs, their effects, and how they are normally used. The drugs included amatropadiline, loravine, stilnox, axetol, and the date-rape drug rufinol. All are typically used at low doses for the treatment of anxiety, depression, or insomnia. It was discovered these medications were all prescribed to Nancy through Yoon. Though Yoon failed to understand why, quote, one on its own would be sufficient, he testified, according to an Associated Press article. Using combination and in excess, those pharmaceuticals could lead to dizziness, amnesia, and even induce a coma. The prosecution read several statements from friends of the couple. All of them affirmed Robert's plans to divorce Nancy after confirmation of her suspected affair. As documented by the forward, Brina O'Shea, a close friend of the couple, told detectives that as early as April 2003, quote, it was becoming evident that what had appeared at first to be a perfect marriage was on the verge of collapse. She also recalled Robert saying he wondered if his wife was plotting to kill him. Testimony from Andrew Kissel, Robert's brother, confirmed his intention to file for divorce. From the prosecutor's standpoint, Nancy had a strong motive to take extreme measures. She risked losing everything. Multiple friends confirmed Robert had intended to tell her he was filing for divorce the day he was killed. Between owning multiple properties, a hefty life insurance policy, and stocks, Robert was valued at $18 million. In his will, Nancy was listed as sole beneficiary. All of that would go away if Robert left her. The prosecution theorised Nancy wanted to take that money and run off with her new love interest. To drive that point home, explicit emails and texts exchanged between her and the contractor were read out loud in court. And then there was physical evidence that linked her directly to the crime. Nancy's fingerprints were found on the tape that was used to bundle the rug and seal the boxes in storage. A search performed on Nancy's browser history also indicated premeditation to the prosecution. Months before the murder, Nancy had researched the use of sleeping pills combined with one of the sedatives she was prescribed. But the defence argued the searches were done for a different reason. Nancy was stuck in a miserable marriage and was contemplating suicide to escape it. When Nancy Cassell testified, she leaned heavily on the self-defence angle. Robert hadn't liked the fact she was so involved with the school and wanted her to focus on being his wife. She also spoke of the argument that escalated that night. Robert was enraged by the affair and turned violent. Nancy alleged he had dragged her into the bedroom and grabbed a baseball bat to assault her.
According to the standard, she testified not remembering many of the events that followed. She told the courtroom, he said he was going to kill me, and he was going to. Nancy went on to say, I wanted him to stop swinging that bat at me. That's when she grabbed the metal statue and struck him in the head five times. Testimony given by Jane Clayton, Robert's sister, painted a much different picture. She lived outside San Francisco, which prompted the defense to cast doubt on how much she knew about the Kissel's marriage. She served as a character witness for her deceased brother. As stated in the Vancouver Sun, she shared that Robert was very, very loyal to his wife and loved his wife. She recollected a family dispute between Nancy and her father-in-law and how Robert had sided with his wife. When Jane conveyed her impression of her sister-in-law, she described her as argumentative, as documented in the same Vancouver Sun article. Jane looked back on a family ski trip to Whistler, British Columbia, where Nancy was, quote, very distant. She argued a lot with other people. I was very careful when I was with her. On that particular trip, Nancy refused to join some family gatherings and even left to travel home to Hong Kong early. Additional attempts were made by the defense counsel to disparage Robert's name. They alleged he may have also been unfaithful, as one search prior to a business trip led to a website for male escort services. In summing up the defense, the Los Angeles Times explained Nancy was painted as, quote, a victim of spousal abuse who killed her husband in self-defense, end quote. While Robert was portrayed as, quote, a stressed out workaholic who snorted cocaine, pressured his wife to perform sodomy and encouraged her to get breast augmentation, end quote. It was up to the jury to decide which version they believed. The defence argued in closing statements that the prosecution couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused wasn't threatened with a baseball bat. But the prosecution harped on about how implausible it was that the victim exhibited threatening behaviour before he was killed, since he'd been rendered unconscious. On September 1st, 2005, the jury deliberated for eight hours before reaching a unanimous verdict. Guilty. By all reports, Nancy was stoic as the verdict was read. She received a life sentence at the Thai Lam Center for Women, a maximum security prison in Hong Kong. Bill Kissel, Robert's father, spoke with reporters outside the courtroom at the trial's conclusion. In speaking about Nancy, he told the Boston Globe, This is not a moral person. This is a coward. It's a 65-day trial, and it's unanimous. That's justice. All the allegations made in court about Robert are false, untrue. And Robert, I pray, can now rest in peace, and his children can go on with their lives in peace. Jane McLaughlin, Nancy's mother, lamented her daughter's fate. As quoted in the Rutland Daily, she shared, I'm a little stunned right now. I'm just going to try and get my feet on the ground again. When asked about Nancy... She said her family's priority was making sure she gets medical, physical, and psychological help from professionals because she won't survive if she doesn't. But this wasn't the end of the story. In 2010, Nancy's legal team managed to have the 2005 conviction overturned. The basis of this decision rested on two factors. 
Nancy being improperly cross-examined while on the stand, and the original judge allowing hearsay evidence to be presented. A second trial was held on March 2nd, 2011. During the 10-week retrial, Nancy testified again about her deceased husband's allegedly unscrupulous character. According to The Forward, Nancy claimed Robert's behaviour changed after the birth of their first child. This change was, quote, born out of ambition and fuelled by a growing dependency on cocaine and good scotch, end quote. She also maintained that the more successful he became in his career, the more physically and emotionally abusive he was. The retrial had the same outcome as the first, a unanimous guilty verdict and a life sentence. Although her lawyers tried for an appeal in April 2014, the Court of Final Appeal dismissed the filing. The biggest victims in this case are the Cassell children. A custody hearing was held in Manhattan on October 3, 2005, with Andrew and Haley Cassell in attendance, along with Jane Clayton. During this time, Andrew was facing charges for real estate fraud and Haley was in the midst of filing for a divorce. Jane sought custody of the children as a blood relative who could offer them a stable home. As a Microsoft executive in a happy marriage, her home seemed a much better environment for young children who had essentially lost both their parents. As long as the kids were living with their uncle, he received thousands of dollars a month in stipends. He and Haley also had access to the children's trust funds, as per Robert's will. The trust fund for each child contained between $10 million and $15 million. Jane speculated money was their primary motivation in retaining custody. Because Andrew and Haley were in a time of transition, and Jane was named as the kid's legal guardian in Robert's will, Jane was granted full custody. It was decided the children would relocate from Greenwich, Connecticut, to Jane's home in Mercer Island, Washington. Around the time, schools closed for winter recess. In a serious plot twist, Andrew Kissel met the same fate as his brother, a premature death by homicide. He was stabbed to death in April 2006 by his chauffeur, Carlos Trujillo, who had been laundering money for him. Trujillo served a six-year sentence for attempted murder before being deported to his home country of Colombia. In September 2020, Nancy Kissel, then 56, filed for early release. She argued before the Long-Term Prison Sentences Review Board she wasn't informed what would be considered the minimum sentence for her murder conviction. The likelihood of her getting released seems like a long shot. Not only did she confess to the murder... But as a wealthy American expatriate, the Chinese government may be less inclined to show leniency. As for Nancy's children, they may never wish to know her even if the appeal is approved. How can they begin to process the knowledge that their mother murdered their father? Would letting her back into their lives dredge up painful, unforgivable trauma? Only time will tell. Whether Robert mistreated his wife and children or not, did he deserve to lose his life? Or was this merely a case of a desperate woman trying to have it all, regardless of the cost? <laughs>